Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to episode 55 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Kimberly Bear joining us. Kim was born and raised in Maryland and went to College Park at the University of Maryland, receiving a degree in biology. She then went on to the University of Maryland's dental school and received her doctorate in dental surgery in 1999. She completed a master program at NYU in implantology in 2001, and she followed this with a mastership in orthodontics with the American Academy of Orthodontics. In 2007, she did a master's program in biological medicine and toxicology, and during this program, she completed a board certification in naturopathic medicine. This has been followed up by millions of classes and certification programs, which I can vouch for because both her and her partner, Dr. Kip Tippograph, are CEU junkies, (laughs) like myself, Um, and she is also a fellow of the IAOMT. Kim, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Obviously, I'm super excited to have you here since we personally work together and treat some cases together. So welcome. Kelly, thank you. Uh, Love working with you too. It's really changed the way we uh, actually work. So this is an honor. Thank you. Thank you. So let's just dive right on into talk about how you fell in love with treating airway from a dental perspective. Um, And then, you know, also share your journey because I know you've had your own experience as a patient. So uh, I I graduated from dental school in 1999 and uh, I had lots of sleep issues and um, that were passed off probably as depression and uh, narcolepsy and different things like that. and lots of jaw, neck issues, all that stuff. I didn't put it together with airway. And then in 2007, I uh, was starting my mastership program with the American Academy of Orthodontics. And uh, I had, at the time, my son was seven years old and we were having terrible issues with him. He was in an isolated classroom. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. It was like, um, it was like temper tantrums, but rage, um, and no one could figure out what was wrong with him, and we were told that he'd probably have to be institutionalized. So anyways, so of course I started this mastership program, um, hoping for a little distraction in Baltimore, and they're very big, this academy is very big on airway, which I really had no training on. And the very first day, the very first lecture by Chris Baker in Baltimore, she did it all on airway with children and she threw up these slides and showed skeletal things and what their mouth would look like what their tongue would look like and i sat there and then she described how she sees these kids and they're propped up on a million meds and they've got diagnosis like add adhd um, bipolar things like that and really what they have is most of them have severe sleep apnea 
they are living oxygen deprived. And she described skeletally my son to a T. Hmm. And I just sat there and I drove home and it was like, oh my God, I got to get a digital CT. I know what's wrong with them. And I got it one that week and I took it and she was dead on. And then I found the youngest, most progressive ENT I could find who's no longer practicing in the area, sad to say. And I didn't say anything to him. And I brought my son in the following week. And I said, I want you to do an evaluation on his tonsils and adenoids. Because I was told they did not need to be removed by ENTs, his pediatrician. He was never sick. Um, and the guy took a look down his throat. And I showed him the, my CT scan. And he laughed. He's like, I never see this when they come in. But he was like, um, I don't want to get your hopes up. But I don't think your son's going to need any medications when I'm done with him. He has severe sleep apnea, no doubt. He's, getting, he's not getting enough air. He feels like as if you and I would feel if we'd been up for 48 hours straight working. And this is all he has known. So you take an immature kid who doesn't know he's tired. He can't tell you he's tired. It's going to come up as hyper or lethargic, moody, you know, all these things. And we had his tonsils and adenoids removed uh, as soon as we could. It was maybe six weeks later. And then he went from being one of the highly, most highly medicated seven-year-olds at NIH to basically almost off all his meds within six months. Now, this is an extreme story. And he went from being in an isolated classroom with a bunch of dangerous children to being in a GTLD program the following year. His diagnosis was from bi bipolar to uh, maybe a little Asperger's. <laughs> so now my son is finishing up his freshman year in college, and he's a different person. But that made me just opened up my eyes to the whole airway thing. And then, you know, I started doing ALFs with that academy, and um, I do everything. We do the DNA. It just depends on the person. The DNA, there's all kinds of different appliances. I have some kids who are super non-compliant because, you know, you got an airway issue, Let's say you're a little ADD, you're very, they be, they're usually very sensitive orally. They can't, you know, they have all kinds of proprioceptive issues going on. Um, and sometimes I just, it, you just can't keep that ALF in their mouth. So I will put them in like um, a rapid expander, cemented in for usually about six months and get the width we need, which increases the oxygen pretty quickly. It's not ideal skeletally, but at this point, you got to choose the lesser evil, and then I'll usually switch them over. And they're much more compliant at that point to the ALF or whatever we decide. But it's a journey, depending on the kid. And um, the craziest thing is, and I was little, you know, I did some myo training, and I remember in I worked with Dr. Jennifer Tipograph, and she really brought you in, Hallie. And she was like, I want all my uh, expansion cases and um, going to see the myofung. That's been crazy seeing the difference in patients that work with you or work with another therapist. And then the outcome, mm -hmm. you see, the, first of all, the results are always better and faster. Um, so it's been really, really cool seeing um, what a huge difference. And you guys like really, um, I always tell my patients, it's very interesting because if you have an airway issue and you go see, you got, it, it's, it, it's a, you guys said there's a finish line with the treatment you do. Like they do the work, 
it doesn't take that long to see the results. It's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, I tell my patients, you know, you're investing this time and this money, like you can get great results <laughs> or we can do as good as we can without her. But, you know, why would you, you know, and when they put it like that, patients are like, uh, you know, so, yeah. So I think what you guys are doing is, is a huge part of it. But then, so I, and I really didn't dive in so much into the adult aspect of it for a few years. Um, and then when I turned 40, which was a little while ago, <laughs> a little while ago. Okay. Um, you still look like you're 30. <laughs> yeah, 10 years ago. So like 10 years ago, I, um, my daughter, who was uh, sleeping with me sometimes, like she had a nightmare or whatever. She would say, mommy, you're, you're snoring. And I was like, no way I am snoring. <laughs> then I had to stop and take a look at myself and my airway. Sure enough, upper airway resistance, you know, and I don't know if people understand the difference between the upper airway resistance and sleep apnea. You don't have to stop sleeping at night. If you're snoring, there's something in the way that equals less oxygen. You know, is it worse or better than sleep apnea? Not necessarily either. Um, you can have upper airway resistance in a manner that it's just a like decrease oxygen all night long. Um, and that's what I was having. And that's what I always had. And you know, it's so interesting because my son, I should have learned, right? All of a sudden, you know, I start, I did a, I did an alpha myself first for the first year. Pretty, I was pretty small. And then I did, I moved on to a DNA and uh, I like to make all the mistakes first then before I treat my patients with the items. And then um, I saw it was just huge. Um, all of a sudden I could come in to work and I wasn't exhausted. Um, my staff noticed, um, you know, there was nothing wrong with me. I wasn't depressed, I was tired. You know what's depressing? Being tired, <laughs> that's depressing. It's like this crazy, you know, I was, it was a total misdiagnosis on, you know, you know, in dental school, I was just exhausted. I was exhausted because my quality of sleep was nothing. And, you know, and I know like you know this, but when we have patients coming in, it's crazy because you see it. I see it more so than I don't see it. So like someone can come in, I can look at their jaw, I can look in their mouth and I know, I know what's going on there. And then you, you have to like hold back because otherwise you start to sound a little crazy. Like everybody needs to be expanded and everybody needs a phrenectomy. But uh, the truth is, it's probably most of us do in this country. But, genetics, you know, things are changing and <laughs> It is and um, you know, but it's not a, you know, uh, you know, sometimes it can be the right treatment, wrong time. Everybody's got a, a journey, you know, yeah. and there's a certain, you know, earlier, better, but we do work with 70 year olds, expanding them and opening their airway and get the same, get great results. It's just a matter of what chronic issues, you know, have been developing for all these years. Like for instance, my family, everyone in my family dies of cancer. So like mm -hmm. cancer, what does cancer love? A low oxygenated situation. So you know, hopefully I'll at least buy a few extra years. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's amazing. And thank you for sharing your story and your son's story, because I think you're going to help a lot of moms who listen to this podcast, parents, fathers, who might go, holy cow, like that's my kid. Or maybe it's not that extreme, but they see certain, you know, things they can relate to in 
their child just seems to be acting out all the time or walking around or, or maybe they're the kid who sits backwards at circle time in preschool or maybe they're the kid who can't sit still and needs to like lay on the yeah. floor at their elementary school to do their schoolwork or you know they come home and they just melt down because they just they've used all of all, they've expended all their energy at school and they have nothing left by the time they get home at 3 p.m and you know these are more extreme cases than like your typical child who might just be tired like this is you know it's not tired from the day of school it's tired because like you said they're constantly in this state of fatigue and they don't know anything different they are not getting restful sleep and that's what i always try to explain to our patients is there's a difference between a child who sleeps 12 hours straight and doesn't wake you and they're actually sleeping and getting restful sleep and the child who's sleeping 12 hours at night who doesn't wake you and you have no clue that there's upper airway resistance even if sleep apnea is not present like they may not be gasping for air they may not be snoring but maybe you can hear them breathing still maybe their mouth is open and you know it's audible breathing or their mouth is just open and maybe we don't hear them but they're still mouth breathing mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. generally some form of resistance and i listened to a really great talk on this yesterday um that was really highlighting this too and i think it's a really big message because so many people one don't know that snoring is not normal and i put like things up on social media saying like snoring is never normal <laughs> but neither is mouth breathing your mouth should always be closed and so i think i'm starting to drive that message home because i asked on like instagram yesterday i'm like what is the number one thing you've learned from me <laughs> and people responded they said no snoring your mouth should be closed i was like oh that's thank goodness the that. message is getting through <laughs> that's huge and if you can't do that you know there's a problem yeah, yeah. and that's and hopefully yeah. they understand who to seek out or, you know, I've, I've been really, um, you know, with the platform I have, I get a lot of people asking me, well, who should I, should I see? Do you know anybody in this area? And I can often go back to like a Facebook group or a listserv and be like, hey guys, I need a practitioner here and connect people. And while it's very time consuming, I'm happy to do it because if I can help somebody get started on their journey and, you know, to better health, better airway and all the things we're talking about, then I feel like my, that's the whole point of this podcast. So you know, it's, um, it's really exciting to see that it people are getting the message and, you know, airways, I always say airway is everything. If you can't breathe, you're bad. <laughs> air and air and water. Like you yeah. can't, yeah, yeah. No, no one, everyone feels better if you get more air. <laughs> like and you're hydrated too. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's so, so, so true. Now you also talked about um, how you do, you use various appliances in your practice. Can you speak a little bit to that? Cause I know like we've on some of our shared patients, obviously I've, I've done ALF. I think we've had some go into like AGA, we've had mRNA, DNA. Um, I know you mentioned rapid palatal. I don't think I've had any kiddos um, with you yet that have had the RPE, but I think all the others I've had patients that had one of those four or a combination or something a lot, you know, based on yeah. their case. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, there's probably, so yeah, I've been doing expansion for about 13 years. So there's, there's very few appliances I don't use. I have not tried, um, always up for trying something different. Um, uh, you know, ideally the ALF, um, I love the kids. Um, you know, you can use the DNA on kids. It's just, uh, it's tricky because uh, you know they're losing teeth and it's it's not as um, I don't you don't have as much control mm. uh, you know they they don't keep it in all the time so you know it just depends on the case but I have some kids I've you know put removables in it also depends on you know the parent what the parent can do a lot of parents don't cannot ha have the time or the energy to you know deal with that um, 
but I have patients, a lot of patients, I start on their ALF and then they get older and their teens and we move to the DNA. Um, you know, I love all these appliances. We're not, um, you know, I didn't, the Vivos community, which is the DNA community, um, they bought the DNA out. Uh, it's a great organization. Um, we work with them a lot. We're not members per se, but it's only because even though I love, love, love everybody there and, you know, they're doing amazing work is I, you know, in our practice, we don't commit to one appliance. So, you know, um, it just depends on the situation. Uh, some kids, you know, and, and adults, I have a lot of adults that come in, they want something fixed in their mouth. These are small appliances you can't see. Um, some adults don't want to deal with, you know, having to put something in and out of their mouth at night. And um, so, and it's, it's very interesting because um, especially with my adult patients, uh, it always seems a little overwhelming to make this commitment um, for the expansion, but uh, it becomes an addiction. And I, I struggle cutting people off from treatment. <laughs> day I have a patient where I'm like okay we started this one year treatment three years ago <laughs> I think we can stop now like because they feel so good you know um which I like uh but well, yeah like, doctors I mean, yeah. The ones that were like I don't know if I can do this I don't know <laughs> if I can do this and I'm like well I don't know if you can can you do this like <laughs> I can't wait to get do you how good how important is it to you to make these changes and uh nine out of 10, they do it and they love it. So yeah, um, and I'm laughing because, you know, Jen asked me, Dr. Kippergraph asked mm -hmm. me, she's like, so, you know, do you think, how, what do you think? Like, what do you think about the space up there now? Do you think we're done? And you know, I'm like, well, what do you think? <laughs> so she's like, well, I think we're, we're getting there. We're pretty good. And I was like, I don't think we're done yet because the back of my tongue still touches my back molars. And there's like some more space back there. And she was like, okay. But I was like, oh gosh, I'm, I'm that patient where it was like, I'll probably have you in this for a year and you know, maybe a year and a half. We'll see I mean, I also know that like I hit a wall unless I have body work and that would have happened about halfway through my treatment. Like I was moving, moving, moving. I could crank it, crank it, crank it. And then like halfway through, we realized that my maxillas turned in on one side. Manny realized that. And we had thought that there was like other misalignment in my mandible. And we were like, nope, it's the maxilla. He like looked at me and he's like, wait, no, like your mandible's aligned. It's your maxilla. And so I'm like, look, my, my, you know, incisors, my central incisors don't match up on top and bottom. <laughs> Um, and so I said, you know, I don't really want to stop until we can figure this out. And I don't want to break my jaw either, Manny. So fix me. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So we're and working on that. But, you know, but I also noticed halfway through that if we, if I do the body work, right, I see Manny for the physical therapy, the, the modern counter screen technique that he uses, I'm then able to adjust my appliance again. Whereas like, like the day prior to seeing him, like I could no longer crank the appliance. Like it didn't matter what I did, nothing was shifting or moving. And then I would get treated by him. And then all of a sudden everything's moving again. And I can now like continue on with the appliance work. So I've also been seeing him in between my dental appointments to try and like help that go a bit, a bit further. And I think my expansion now is, is where I want it, but I want to make sure that before we pull the DNA out, my, you know, my maxilla is where we want it to. Yeah. You can't, um, Anyone who thinks that you can uh, do the expansion without, you know, the body work, the IPR, or the manipulation, I mean, uh, this is the top of the zipper, and as you go down, if you're a little off, 
it just gets worse. So you can do the expansion without the tongue, you know, issue myotherapy and the and the um, structural therapy like with Manny Kim or Louise Kelly, who's amazing um, IPR. But you will never get the results, and that is why we brought them into our office because I had an issue um, right after I started expanding myself. I um, started running marathons. It was a bucket list thing. I never ran a marathon before. Anyways, I qualified for Boston. I was so pumped. It was my second marathon. And uh, six weeks before, I had this knee issue, and I saw an orthopedic surgeon. He did a shot, and he was just like, you know, with these issues, you're going to be off. You can't run for a year. You're done. And I was like, no. And so it was like, Tanner. so I saw a friend of mine refer me to Louise Kelly, who works, who was, you know, her and Manny uh, used to work together. And that's how I met Manny Kim, Dr. Manny Kim. And she did some dry needling. And then she did some structural evaluation. And she basically took these sticks and said, and I could not walk without pain. I was in so much pain. Mm. And she taped them together. And she was like, you're skull is off kilter. I was expanding myself. You know, I wasn't getting structural work. She's like, you're, you, so when she stacked them up to like a certain distance and put them on the right side of my mouth, she was like, now get up and walk. And I'm biting on them, which evened me out and my knee didn't hurt. And I was like, that's crazy. She was like, I want you to go back to your office and make your guard that thickness on that side and then try running with it. And so I did it. Four days later, with the guard in that the lower guard, I was running no pain. Wow. I ran that marathon, and I've ran one every year since, and I never had any knee surgery. And she, and so then I altered my bite to like even out my skull. We did some work, and let me tell you, I was like so like oh my god, this is like voodoo crazy. <laughs> like how many people are having surgeries and like fixing muscles and bones and doing all this stuff when it's all here, like, and how many of my patients am I expanding? Like, how do I know, like, I'm making this bigger, but if they've got something else going on, how do I know, you know it's not affecting their ankle or their knee? And they're not going to put it together. But now that I know, I can't go back. So then I was like, I need to figure out a way to bring you guys into my office. And I had no idea how I was going to do that. So I brought her, Louise Kelly in on Tuesdays and Dr. Manny came on Thursdays. And this was six years ago, seven years ago. And we just pay them to come in for the day. And I was just randomly saying, had patients on my schedule. I was like, oh, I bet they have something structurally wrong. And I would just have them not, not charge my patients and do an evaluation on them. Because they would say, oh, you're going to do this crown or you're going to do this expansion. They're like, you really need to, you know, open the bite up on this side or do this or that. And they're like, and that would fix their ankle. And I'm like, okay. I look like a genius. Okay. I don't, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just going to make a crown anyways. But they're going to tell me how to fix it. And then... I was like, they, they're very big on the expansion of the airway. And then we had them seeing every patient we were seeing. And the results were just phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a no-brainer. Like, uh, you, know, you, it, you know, like you said, with you, I mean, we're, I'm a dentist. And I, I know this. And I, I've learned a lot of other things, but this is where I'm supposed to be focusing on. So, um, yeah, we're so fortunate to live in a place with such smart people. I mean, 
that point, I mean, it makes it easy to have a team approach when you have people who get it here. Um, I always joke, I'm like, I've got my, I've got my amazing team. We've got all the puzzle pieces. We're just missing one. We need that ENT locally who really is truly airway centric and gets it. Um, Cause you know, we have some great ENTs that we can refer to. And if we have like blatantly obvious sleep apnea, they're going to take those tonsils and adenoids out. But if I send a kiddo usually, and I say, I have like concerns about upper airway resistance, they, you know, or I say, please check the tonsils and adenoids. Oftentimes my kids get, the families get sent away. And then I look like an idiot for wasting that parent's time going to that appointment. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like we, we've got some practitioners locally, but I don't know that anybody's really, and maybe, you know, somebody, maybe you're working with somebody that I'm not familiar with and we need to talk about that. <laughs> um, so tell me if I'm wrong, but I have not been able to find anybody. Um, I don't know of anyone in particular, but I do know my patients that I send off to the ENT, I will send a report and say that they're structurally, their job, they need the surgery for structural growth reasons. Mm -hmm. And they're more apt to do that with like a CT scan and a report saying, because then it kind of holds them like they don't, and then things get worse. They're actually responsible. So yeah, you could try that. Um, and we'll just send them through you. <laughs> we're going to send them, we're going to go see, <laughs> go see natural dental associates. <laughs> well, we can show them, if we can show them an x-ray or yeah. scan. Yeah. Clearly. And we do the air, we have an airway interpretation on the scan now and it will say too small. Yeah. Too small. That's the awesome. It's growing narrow, you know. Um, yeah, we need to widen them out. Beautiful. I love that because you can't argue with with like documentation that you know with pictures. Yeah, right? no, when you see it, it's hard. It's yeah. hard to argue with it when you can see the problem. Yeah, uh, I think that's like that for all of us, though. Yeah, definitely, one hundred percent. That's what I tell my patients all the time, and that's why I take so many photos and videos so I can show them and I can explain to them and say, you know, do you see that? Do you see how the jaw just moved this way? We don't want that to happen. It should stay over here. And do you see how the tongue and the jaw move together? They should be more, you know, working independently of each other. And when we try to teach it, they couldn't do it. And so I think when we can show parents like what we're seeing as well as practitioners, you know, whether it's through our reports or the, when I sit down with my parents and I show them the videos and kind of talk through it and explain why we want it to be, you know, a certain way, it's really powerful. I always say pictures don't lie. So <laughs> Ellie, how many adults would you say that you work with? I know you primarily work with children. So I'm, yeah, I'm primarily pediatric. Um, and right now my caseload is much smaller just given the pandemic. Uh, but, you know, probably, I've probably worked with less than 100 adults. Um, total, but I have to say that my adults are some of my favorite because they move through the program, the Mayo program, just much quicker. Mm -hmm. Obviously, just from a cognitive level, they're able to grasp what we're asking them to do much faster than like, let's say a five-year-old. Um, my teens also move through pretty quickly as well, uh, but my adults are really fun because they, they're able to really grasp it, kind of like run with it. And, you know, if we I feel like if they, um, they don't get something and they need to work on something a little bit longer, we'll give them an extra week to do it. We won't meet, you know, we'll do like two weeks between our sessions. And sometimes I'm done seeing them in five sessions total. Like it just, it just depends on the person. Sometimes if they're not compliant, it could take longer, but my compliant ones could be in and out in like five, six sessions easily. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the adult tongue tie thing is just so, it's like my new that's becoming my new like focus uh because i for 
for me, that was like the last piece of the puzzle as far as like neck tension and sternum issues. Um, yeah, that muscle is so crazy. Uh, no, no one thinks that it wraps around, you know, your neck and your jaws and it's just, um, and most of us are, you know, airway issued patients and the tongue is like, that's part of the problem. If it's yeah, being held yeah. down. So like my kids had no problem latching or, um, you know, they didn't have any obvious speech impediments, uh, but they are all tongue-tied. Mm. Um, and what you see it is as an adult, like my son's starting to get neck issues. Um, you know, we expanded his airway, but we didn't untie his tongue. So we're getting ready to do that. He's older now, so it's a little bit of a fight, but we'll get done this summer. <laughs> On what do you, so this is a great question because we get this a lot, right? We have parents who, I have parents who will bring their babies to me for an assessment. So they're like, okay, well you do a ton of infant tongue ties, right? Like that's kind of like my, my little love is the babies. Um, and, but they'll say, well, they're nursing okay. They're transitioning to solids. Like they're hitting their motor, their developmental milestones. And so I'll tell them, it's not a tongue tie unless there are symptoms, right? If, it's, if they're asymptomatic, like it's not a tongue tie. However, we need to monitor for like these things coming down the road. We need to pay attention to posture. We need to pay attention to airway. We need to pay attention to sleep. You know, we'll kind of, we'll run them through the gamut of like all the things that you need to be aware of, like all the red flags. Um, and sometimes they might come back a couple years later. And so, you know, it, it, as a practitioner, I sit here and I go, well, I know it's not a tongue tie, but do we intervene now because we know that there's going to be issues down the road or do we wait till the first symptom or, you know, happens? You do it. I think you, you I think it. you intervene. Yeah. And knowing, I mean, you can ask the parent, like why, I mean, uh, reflux, um, heartburn, um, you know, it's all this. And it's, if it's, if they're having problems, if it's tied, I mean, they're going to have, I mean, the airway, I mean, especially as they get older, once your testosterone levels start to drop, like especially with women, like late 30s, um, your soft tissue, your airway gets smaller. Yeah. It doesn't, I'm a huge fan of bioidentical hormones, by the way, I'll do a plug there, <laughs> because um, that really helps with that. Uh, but, you know, your airway just gets smaller and then you're just getting less and less air. And um, it really makes you think about aging like, you know, aging is aging, you know, we've already, like, people are aging better now than our, our parents' generation, but, you know, how much of aging is really due to chronic decreased oxygen levels? Like if you were to take somebody and they got the same oxygen they were getting when their airway was big and open at 20 throughout their life, hmm. what, how would they age? Because that's a huge part of it. Yeah. You know, That's a really cool question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, with most Americans at a certain age, you know, especially in their 70s, you know, are going to have, you know, sleep disorders. They didn't have that. Like you have like dementia, it affects dementia, Alzheimer's, um, cancer. I mean, cancer loves a low oxygenated environment. I mean, if you were to eliminate that, not to say that none of these things would still happen, but what would the numbers be? You know, what a cool study that would be. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, and it's, you know, and you mentioned, um, like, a number of the symptoms when it comes to tongue tie, and, you know, in my 30s is when I realized I was, I mean, I'm still in my 30s, but I realized I was tongue tied, 
and like about five years ago. And my, my mom said to me, well, yeah, you know, you, your aunt who's a speech pathologist locally, she's like, well, she said you were like the floppiest baby she'd ever seen. And I'm like, great. Thanks guys. Like, are we talking about like, you know, Elo Sandler's Sandler syndrome here? Like, are we talking about, like, <laughs> I've now worked with a physical therapist who's like, I think you have ADS. <laughs> like, great. You know, this is probably why I've like never been able to get like a really strong core, like no matter how hard I work, even when I was like, a like tight size two doing like insanity workouts and P90X, like still like the hardest thing for me to ever get in shape, no matter how tiny I got was like still like my core. And I'm like, this is just makes so much sense. But I also was tongue tied and had sleep disorder breathing, didn't know any of that. They, they, um, it's interesting because I, I, well, not interesting, but couldn't breastfeed. They put me on all kinds of alternative formulas. They think they thought I couldn't drink the milk and I had a milk allergy. And so my mom's like, you refuse to drink the soy formulas because back in the 80s, they smelled like dirty socks. She was, I mean, she was like, this is this is like my history. This is how my mother reports my, my infant history. They um, did smell like dirty socks. Right, dirty socks and then super floppy. I'm like, great. That really sticks in your brain. Um, and then, uh, I, so I get through school. I get like good grades all through school. I go to college and all of a sudden things just fall apart. Like I practically flunk not really like I got passing grades but for me it was like flunking my first semester of college I was like what the heck like I'm doing everything I've always done I went from being like an A student to being like a C student like what is this all about um and I would go back and I would I actually went back to a, a test that I got a C on in the business I was I went into the business school into the classes and then ended up switching obviously um but I was like, I know 13 of the 15 answers I got wrong. Two weeks after the test, I haven't studied or picked up the material since, like, what the heck? And I just started to realize that, like, it was probably my sleep disorder breathing. Like, I could not focus when I was taking tests, especially in a large classroom with, like, an auditorium size. With, like, every time someone would, like, you know, take a pen and, like, do this, I was like, what Like, there went my attention. And so I was highly inattentive, couldn't focus and exhausted, I'm sure, because what do you do in college? You party and then you study the night before your exam. <laughs> so that's what I was clearly doing. Um, so anyways, my parents had me go get tested for ADHD. And the, the backstory on that is that when I was five or four or so, and I was in like preschool, going into kindergarten, all the teachers said I had ADD. And my mom refused to believe it. She said, she, she's like, I called one doctor before they ever met you. They diagnosed you over the phone. I called another one and they brought me in and met with me, but hadn't met with you and diagnosed you without meeting you. And then I took you to a third one who kind of like was like, well, I don't know. And so I went with that person. <laughs> and so, and she was like, I just refused to medicate you because they didn't think you needed it. And I was like, okay, well, that's, you know, neither here nor there. I ended up doing okay, but I was also a child who was like angry a lot, like I had temper issues and I would call my mom mean names and tell her she like it was just it was not nice um <laughs> and fast forward to college right I go and I get tested uh, as an adult now and they basically said well your IQ is too high so we're not going to give you a diagnosis of ADHD but you're a candidate for Ritalin so here's the medication you're highly inattentive um and you know take it and it ended up really helping me in college I hated myself on it but I took it Throughout college, throughout grad school, I went up to like a 3.5 GPA my first semester on it, and then a 4.0 through the rest of college and all the way through grad school. And then as soon as the day I graduated grad school, I was like, I'm done with this stuff. And I stopped taking the medication. And like, I actually did a research study on it and was like, 
there's no longitudinal studies on this. I could be like destroying my body. Like I, I'm, I hate this stuff. I'm done. Even if it really helps me like focus, I'll figure out other ways. Um, in all that, I also behaviorally learned how I needed to study for myself. And I needed to start a week before and I needed to chunk my study sessions. And I was able to retain information in different ways. But like when it came to actually taking the tests, like the medication really helped me. And now what I, what I later realized was, wow, maybe if somebody had looked at my airway, <laughs> we could have avoided all of that. And, you know, it just, it's so fascinating as an adult to look at my history because everything is tied into my airway issues. Um, so. Yeah. I think that's the American way that we, uh, we medicate for symptoms instead of treating the problems. And I, once you start thinking like that, I'm, I'm not anti-medication. Like I, um, I'm a believer that first of all, it's a personal choice. And second of all, um, you, if you really, once you really start looking at what's the problem, like why is this happening to fix it, to fix it correctly, it's not quick. So maybe you need something to get you through a period of time or whatever. It's different for everybody. But in this country, we want a quick fix. Um, I'm, I'm guilty of it in many ways. Um, you just have to be patient. You didn't develop that problem immediately. You're not going to fix it immediately. You know what I mean? And um, sometimes, yeah, it, we really, like, why? Okay, this is really the off-kilter. Like, for instance, why do I have, okay, I have a friend who has high blood pressure. Why does he have high blood pressure? He's not overweight. He's ridiculously fit. And I say, so why do you have high blood pressure? Like, if you ask your doctor, he's like, oh, it's genetics. And I'm like, yes. Everything is genetics. <laughs> Why do you have high blood pressure? I mean, it's not super high, but your blood pressure should not be high. You probably have like 10% body fat, your cardio, you know, you're in sick shape. Why are you taking this low dose? Like, so, and then you think our bodies are amazing. So why does your body need your blood pressure to be high, right? So I eventually talked him into coming into the office. He's a trainer and I did a CT scan on him and he has the smallest airway I've ever seen. Wow. And you to look at him, he's clearly compensating well. But his body, he's getting, let's say you're just getting um, you need, let's say, a hundred liters of oxygen. And you're only getting 10% of oxygen. Your body is so amazing that it will take that 10% and it will restrict the blood vessels and move it around as fast as it can to try to make it into a hundred, you know, get it to all the important organs and do all that. So your body's working overtime to move this oxygen around because all it has is this 10% of oxygen and it's compensating and it's working well because your heart is strong, you're fit, you're compensating, you're eating well. And then you take a blood pressure medicine that dilates your blood pressure so your blood can't move the oxygen around the same way right how is that good like what? <laughs> wait a minute why why are we why does he have high blood pressure number one number two now we just undid what your body needed to do mm -hmm. and now diagnosis is add mm. so we're gonna put him on add man with this low and i'm just like this is like one of the healthiest people i know and um so he's finally on board with the whole airway thing, but I'm like, I am only a dentist, but I do know when we make these changes in people, like when we fix airways or decrease infections in this area, their blood pressure goes down and they tend to be over medic. They tend to not even need their medicine or need to alter the dose they have to see their doctor. But I was like, 
you shouldn't need this medicine. Yeah. You know, you should, like, why? Um, and I think that that's just a big problem. <laughs> I mean, people don't even think, they're like, oh no, I need this because I need this. And, but why? Well, why I think do we you need so it? much trust in our doctors, right? They're, they are doctors. They have MDs after their name, whether they're a general practitioner or a specialist, like we go to them for a problem and they're supposed to know the answers. And I think that, you know, that's just, that's American culture. And okay. I think anytime one of us challenges that, they kind of go, wait, whoa, you're not a doctor or you're not a, you know, and it's like, maybe not, but I can see the results I'm getting for my patients. And I don't really have people challenge me because I'm not typically going against what their doctor says. I'm just trying to provide alternative, which I'm sure you're doing too, is like we're providing alternative means to figure out the root of the problem rather than slapping a Band-Aid on it. And that's, you know, American culture is slap the Band-Aid on and move on, move along. <laughs> like in the beginning of your podcast, when you make that statement and you're like, open up your mind, it's so true. Because uh, I doctors and they're not the they're not the enemy. Like they can only do so much. Yeah. I mean, they're seeing you know, they're seeing you, and their job is to make sure your blood pressure's not high, so your kidneys don't. You know, I get it. Like we have to take you have to take responsibility for yourself. You have to advocate for yourself, and you have to do everything you can do because that internist cannot fix everything. Right. He cannot. And um, I know as being a practitioner, I remember graduating from school and realizing when they gave me that license to write prescriptions, <laughs> I was like, hmm, I remember feeling like I knew nothing, you know, and I think every doctor, and they might not want to admit this, but they, if, unless there's something wrong with them, they should feel that way, because you really know the minimum, you know the minimum, and I remember realizing I don't know everything, I don't know enough, and honestly, the longer I practice, and I've been practicing over 20 years, I, I know less and less. I know less and less, and I will never discount anybody. Now I say, whereas maybe ten years ago I say, no, no, that's not true. Now I say, well, not that I know of, but you know, <laughs> nothing would surprise me at this point. Yeah. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that uh, we can learn from each other. And I think as soon as you stop, you know, and you think this is how I do it, this is what works, and you. Stop, you start closing out new ideas. Um, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to hear. You know, I mean, even like uh, working with like with a speech therapist on every patient, I'm going to do a tongue tie release on. I mean, that so there is an initial response of, ah, do they need that? Do my patients really need that? You know, and then you know, but you got to be like, okay, maybe they do need that, and then you see, you know, so you don't, you know, you don't know until you try. I mean. Um, there's so much information out there, especially right now with the whole crazy <laughs> pandemic stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about, you know, unaddressed airway issues and COVID-19. Because <laughs> that's <laughs> <a> hard topic. <laughs> well, you have to share with us about COVID. The common sense. Uh, so I had COVID uh -huh. in February. They were not testing. Um, <laughs> that was, I wish I had videotaped it. Um, it was, uh, I mean, I had it like you would have it. Like it was like a horrible bronchitis. I had all of it. Um, and I'll tell you, the second week when the cough started, it felt like I had emphysema. So I didn't have a fever anymore. So I felt like I was getting, I was better. I was getting feel infectious. But I run. So even when I'm sick, if I don't have a fever, I'm not 
top two achy or whatever, I'll go out and I'll jog a few miles. And even if I have a cough or whatever, it, it all comes out. I feel so much better afterwards. And I would go try to run a mile or two. And um, I would on a treadmill because it was cold. And uh, it sounded like I was dying. <laughs> so I would get through a mile. I just got off and I was like, man, I feel like I have lung cancer. Like I can't run. I don't, I can't get enough air. Um, and I was like, ugh. I'm gonna wait another week and before I go back to the doctors. And um, a week later, it was getting much better. So I was fine. But, you know, most of us, and I feel like the news isn't saying this, you know, telling people this, um, we're only hearing the scary stuff. But for most of us, this virus is just that, like getting bronchitis. It's a horrible virus, like a horrible flu. Um, and you'll be fine for most of us if you get it. But definitely, and I kept thinking, um, if I had an airway issue and I got this, because you're definitely getting less oxygen. People just have to not panic because I see, okay, I sedate people and I see their airways on a regular basis. And let me tell you, most of us are already not getting a lot of oxygen and I've seen some really bad cases. And these are people that are, don't even know, they're not even noticing any problems. So I was like, after reminding myself, I, I can live like this. People live like this for years. I just need to get through the next week or two. <laughs> so, but um, I did a little research online, and of course, um, you know, there's actually I found some really great articles and like sleep apnea or airway issues, which you know are all the same. Um, decrease oxygen saturation when you're sleeping, um, because I definitely noticed, um, you know, you're getting less oxygen when you have this virus. And there's some research they did on SARS, which is very, as far as the lungs go, similar. It's basically almost identical. Um, it's a, so COVID and SARS are basically, they consider just coronaviruses and they're considering it, SARS, like this whole thing, they're calling it a corona ep epidemic and starting back to when, you know, SARS first came around. And so they have patients who they're seeing, if you had a sleep issue, um, if you had a breathing issue, um, you definitely are going to battle this a lot harder. And then also they're seeing people who come through it on the other end, if they didn't have an issue to begin with because of the scarring and the fibrosis in the lungs that happens. And I felt that um, they were ending up, they're saying long-term results are sleep apnea, you know, breathing issues. Um, it probably took me a month or two to be able to take a deep breath really well, not cough. I mean, I was feeling better every day and now I'm a hundred percent and I'm running and it's not a problem. Like you feel like, just like I could still run, but I felt like if I took a really big breath, I would cough, you know, but uh, if you listen to, there's some um, great stuff out there. Um, some pulmonologists are saying how, if you have this virus, um, I was listening to Dr. Radio the other day and there's, oh, I can't remember his name, but he was great. And he was, I really liked, cause he was like his pulmonologist in New York. And he was saying how um, one of the problems they're seeing is uh, when people lay down, first of all, you're only using like a third of your lung. Mm -hmm. And if we're not moving around, if you're not doing any cardiac, if you're not really moving, you're using very, very little, like half maybe. So if you're running and stuff, you're using like going to whole other depths. And I think that gives me an advantage because you know, I do that and my cell turnover is going to be faster. And he was like, we don't want people laying in bed doing nothing. We want them being as active as they can be. You know, if they can work out, work out. Because he's like, that is how your lungs heal. 
you know, not being careful and staying in bed, you know, an active recovery. So like if you, you know, to get up, move around, do everything you would normally do clearly, you know, without infecting anyone else. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, but the thing is moving forward, this herd thing, most, a lot of, most of us are gonna get this. Most of us are gonna get this. Um, they're not gonna have a vaccine for a year, you know? So uh, I think that people just need to be aware, um, especially, you know, this, how important airway issues and tongue issues. You know, if you have this issue now, you know, it's something you should address um, because, you know, this isn't gonna be the last virus. And if you don't have a good airway, there's no chronic disease you're gonna fight well. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact. So I think it's something to think about. And with your kids, for instance, like you said, do you treat it now? I would treat it now. Yes, I would. Give my kid every advantage, um, especially knowing, you know, what I went through. I mean, I wouldn't wish, you know, that on any parent. Um, I see kids with airway issues that are just amazing kids and there are no issues, but I still tell those parents, treat this airway issue because this is what it's going to look like in 10, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's really good perspective to be able to give to a parent to, you know, you've experienced it. You've had both with you and your son. And I think that that obviously makes you just a much more compassionate provider because when you've lived through something, you can see it through a totally different light. Just like, you know, I have on my end with the Maya with me and with Lily and I keep looking at Mia because Mia is my airway kid. And so while Lily would get colds a lot and she might be my airway kid in that we need to expand her airway she was pretty okay otherwise. Like we needed to release that tongue. You know, I keep looking under her lip and going, I think we might need to release that upper lip too, but we'll, we'll defer to Dr. T on that um, <laughs> when she goes back to see her next. Um, and she's doing amazing in her alp and, and people are actually noticing in pictures I'm posting online. They're going, wow, her face has changed since August. I mean, and she's four, so she, it moves so quickly. Like it's so cool. Um, but she's now also eating new foods. And every single day, we have a star chart that came kind of by accident with a little magnetic calendar I got her when we got stuck at home a couple, you know, two months ago. Um, <laughs> and and she was like, oh, let's use this. I was like, okay, great. It's like a behavioral chart. So I was like, great. So every night now we go through, like, did we eat our food today? Did we try something new? Did we, you know, follow directions in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening? And she's like so into it, which is- Kelly, I need you to come to my house. <laughs> And embrace like, my children, please. <laughs> I mean, this was like totally by accident, like unplanned, but probably really good too, because everybody being here like cooped up, you know, with my, my, my au pair is the best human in the world because Lily is like a four-year-old with massive attitude some days and not sleeping as well as she used to. So now she's also like in our bed, which also impacts her behavior the next day. Um, so anyways, my little tangent there. It's been really cool because with the expansion, she's now willing to try things and they, she has better management of the food. And so she, instead of immediately going, mm, that smells and like that being enough to just set her off, she's going like, I don't know. And then she's putting it in her mouth because she- Oh, that's so great. So she can spit it out if she doesn't like it. Nobody's gonna force her to eat it. We weren't forcing yeah. her before either, but, but she couldn't manage it before. She couldn't, you know, move it with her tongue, chew it properly. And so the combination of the appliance and Maya was really, it's just incredible, um, which is really cool. And then on the flip side, I look at Mia, who was also released, but at day five, much earlier than Lily. And my kid, she was my kid who 
no one wanted to give her a torticollis, you know, diagnosis because she was hitting her milestones. They were just always like at the tail end. Um, but she was the kid who dragged her foot behind her when she crawled and never crawled until like a couple of days after she walked and was on the, you know, it was already starting to get late, not really late, but late for me, it was like 13 months. So <laughs> we went to Dr. Steele and Dr. Coop, we took her to the osteopaths and what do you know, like two, three days later, she gets up and she starts walking. And then a couple days after that, she crawled. And I was like beside myself. I was like, oh, she's crawling. And my husband's like, but she already walks. Like, what does it matter? I'm like, no, you don't get it. Like it matters on so many developmental levels because this is my kiddo who like had torticollis and was dragging her leg and things weren't integrating. And this just everything, like you talked about, it's like that zipper it starts up here and goes all the way down the body. How lucky so are your kids to have you as a mother? I mean. <laughs> I mean, how, seriously though, how, I mean, it, it would be, you can't know, but like, it would be very cool to, to have, a, I mean, I have no doubt she's, her life will be very different for yeah. the better. Well, and the, the interesting thing about Mia is she's my proof kid and my RSV kid and my kid who landed us in the ER twice last year, like in, within like a month because of her airway stuff. And I keep thinking like, maybe we should like take an x-ray of her. <laughs> maybe we should do a scan on her and see like what her airway actually looks like to see if we should be concerned. Um, you know, just knowing how the palate forms when they're in. But even at two, she's got a really good lingual palatal suction. Her mouth is closed. She's not a mouth breather. So I'm kind of like riding that wave. But now even with the interesting thing to me is that even with being home, right after we started, with being home, she was put on an antibiotic for what seemed to be moving towards croup. She was getting that croupy cough at night. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Like she's had this four times in her life already at the age of two. Um, so oh, we put her on, I know. So we put her on antibiotics. I'm like, I do not want to go to the emergency room at Suburban right now. So let's, you know, let's just be proactive here. And that seemed to kind of, that seemed to help. And then Lily got something. And so then Lily was on an antibiotic and then Lily was on a second antibiotic, which didn't work for her. And then we realized it was allergies. So not, that seemed to knock it out. Although no allergy issues since. So I'm not entirely convinced of his allergies um, because she's not on any medication. So going back to Mia, three days ago, she started again with this, this coughing and I've given her some, you know, allergy meds. I'm not a mom who loves to just like slap on the meds, but I'm like, right now, let me see what I can do to like treat the it's airway us out of the ER. Yeah. The last thing you want is a kid that's coughing. Cause like I'm, I've been taking allergy meds and I don't even, I never take them because it's because people look at me and run out of the room <laughs> and I'm like, oh. Yeah. And so she's got this cough and it's mostly now at night or first thing in the morning and you know, I'm like, let me try the allergy meds first. That's probably the least invasive thing we can do before putting her on like, you know, a, an antibiotic again, it's not helping. So I'm like, wait, you know, I'm like, we're going to go text the doctor when we get off, off the recording and be like, Hey, we're headed back towards croup again, which is so interesting to me because she hasn't left our house. She hasn't been out of the house. And this is where I start to wonder, like, is she going to be my kid who's kind of on that path to asthma, which a lot of those croupy kids turn into, despite the fact that she really has not been exposed to new germs in the past two months being quarantined in our house. Um, so I don't know. It's a hmm. little situation, but I kind of want to get her scanned now and take a look at like, why this keeps happening figure out what the underlying, the root of the issue is so we can stop medicating her. But I know it's, yeah, my daughter was born with asthma. Um, that's a whole different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, but it's, you look at these kiddos with these airway issues and 
you know, it's like, I want to like reintegrate my family back into the world, obviously, once the stay at home order lifts, but then I look at me and I go, is that safe? Can I really do that for her? Because I don't want her back in suburban ER on eight hours of food and, you know, because then she starts to get dehydrated and it's a whole, a whole kit and caboodle. So fun times, you know, kids, they keep us on our toes. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Um, um, Yeah. I'm glad my, mine are older now. I've done my time. (laughs) <laughs> but different problems, maybe bigger problems, <laughs> cars and lots of strong opinions. So. Well, this has been amazing, Kim. Is there anything else that you want to add that we haven't covered? I mean, I know we talked about, you know, what you do in your practice, your own personal experience with you and your kiddos, as well as tongue tie release across the ages and COVID-19, anything else we haven't touched on? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, there's a million things I'd love to talk to you about, but, uh, no, I think, uh, you know, I think that, uh, what you're doing is great. And I think, um, it's going to become, you know, people, you know, it's just going to, I think it's just going to become like part of the whole, you know, you go to the dentist, you go to the Maya. I think it, you know, every kid should be screened. I think, what's the downside there's no downside like what's the downside to doing that phrenectomy or doing that expansion there's no downside really there's no downside um so yeah you know i'm actually creating a quick myo screener that i kind of got a little friend joining us here in the back (laughs) um a quick myo screener that um you know we can even send to you and you can give them to your hygienist and when they're oh yeah that's awesome that's awesome one page little checklist and so when they're doing a a routine dental visit they can kind of just go through that checklist in their brain or even have it there to check off while they're waiting for you to come in (laughs) and see the patient um because i think that you know, obviously it can be very costly to add myo in. And I think that's the biggest objection that anybody has is it's just, it's another thing. It's another time investment and money investment. And, but if we but, can really, but what's it saving? Exactly. Like, that's exactly I mean, people, it. Yeah. How much does it save you in the long run, health-wise, money-wise, time-wise, if we address the issue now, like where will you be a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, if you don't address this issue? And so I think mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the earlier we can identify it, the less intervention we usually need. You know, it's, it's, I say less intervention, meaning we may need to do fewer things with kids than we might need to do with an adult who has all these other issues going on and all these other specialists involved. Um, yeah. That doesn't hold true for every case, but, um, you know, it's, it is interesting to see how many of the check boxes are checked off with my adults versus my infants or my toddlers who I'm going, Ooh, I know in the future, those other 15, 20, 30, 40 things, because there's 50 check boxes on my screener mm-hmm. um, or 40. I think we have like 40 check boxes on the screener and a lot of my adults have them all checked off. Which yeah. Is- crazy. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, we can, we'll definitely send that your way and that'll actually be, we'll be launching that like in a week. Um, but the goal is just to get them in as fast as, you know, as early as we can, like you said, so we can deal with the issue as, as before there's a chronic problem. I mean, then you're treating the problem and the root of the problem. Right. And future (laughs) problems as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Kim. This thank you, Hallie. Fun. I'll see you guys soon in the office. All right. Take care. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes, um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 